from Hollywood and welcome to the greatest show on grass podcast part of the sideshow network I'm your host and ringmaster Joshua Newman and I'm joined by Tanisha Singleton the greatest show on grass explores the past present future of the recently reconstituted Los Angeles Rams we opened with the Rams fight song as heard in the opening of the 1953 film crazy legs about the life and times of LA Rams Hall of Famer Elroy crazy legs Hirsch. The first thing we do in each podcast is talk about something the internet is buzzing about and why it matters for Rams fans. Welcome to our first segment, Ramdom. On our last episode, we talked about the 80,000-person stadium the Rams will be moving into in 2019. According to Inglewood Mayor James Butts, the stadium is an aesthetic anchor point for an entertainment community. The mixed-use development complex is a virtual small city. That includes a 300-room hotel, 2,500 residential units, 890,000 square foot of retail space, and a 6,000-seat theater that one NFL owner suggested we hope will host the Oscars. With it being Oscar season, I got to thinking about the incredible tribute it would be to the Rams' Hollywood legacy if at some point the greatest entertainment industry gathering of the year happened within the confines of the team's home. And so in honor of Oscar season, I suggested to Tanisha that we start this episode by handing out some awards for the Rams 2015 season, its last in St. Louis. And we promise no awards to British stage actors in this one. (laughs) Tanisha? (laughs) Um, We threw around a couple categories and let's start with a fun one. So best costume design. When I thought about this award, I was like, okay, costume design. The first thing I thought of was Chris Long, because when the Powerball thing happened a couple of months ago, he went out to uh, a convenience store out in Charlottesville, Virginia, where he lives. And I'm not sure if it was a costume or if this is just how he actually dresses. Like he had the hat, he had the sunglasses, a committed porn mustache, you know, like it was just commitment uh, central and then uh camo outfits and all that stuff and i don't know if he was trying to go incognito it was it, it had to be it I mean, had to be He's because just he a, used a pseudonym he said his name was that's right like rod character rod character actually rod character if you look it up on twitter he has 376 followers yeah um, <laughs> oh someone made an account for uh for rod i think it was chris that did it really i think so i, I think this was like a very deliberate um <laughs> Active costume I, design. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Cause even his brother Kyle Long was like, I don't think like he, he dresses like that every, all the time. Like, I don't think that's a, a costume, but yeah, caricature character told, um, W V I R TV that, uh, he wanted to go to Myrtle beach. Yeah. He was going to take his old lady to Myrtle <laughs> beach if he won and get a timeshare yeah. and lots of, lots of boats, yeah. multiple sized boats. So it, it's just so fun. Um, and it's, you know, a a shame for fans of Chris Long that he's, you know, not a part of the team anymore, but we still wanted to give him that shout out for, for costume design. Cause Def- that's a full commitment. Right Chris there. Long is our first nominee for <laughs> costume design. Our uh, second nominee is uh, Jeff Fisher, uh, who uh, during the rain soaked penultimate game of the season, turned his cap backwards uh, and coached the team to a 23, 17 upset of Seattle. They were 13 point underdogs that day. 
Uh, Benjamin Hockman of uh, the St. Louis Poach Dispatch uh, said, like Stallone in Over the Top, Jeff Fisher turned his hat backwards and dominated. Um, for the record, Fisher's hat currently has 47 followers on Twitter. That's the beauty of social media, where a hat <laughs> can have more followers than a lot of righteous people. Yeah. That's that's pretty funny. Janoris Jenkins is our third nominee. Uh, famously proclaiming his uh, love for LA on Instagram last summer. Um, my favorite uh, Ram, actually. Is he? Yep. Really, really, really hope he resigns with the team. Uh, he had me at that onion headline from a few years ago. Janoris Jenkins claims he got laid during interception return. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I have him for best costume design because he um, regularly, he had this St. Louis artist paint his cleats four or five different pairs of cleats. This uh, artist by the name of Brock Seals, who who purports to be impl- influenced by uh, Japanese and Indian inking techniques, mm. uh, created a few, four or five pairs for, for Janoris. Um, they spoke to him recently. Apparently he's been contacted by the players. I think Stedman Bailey also had a pair design. So um, honestly, I tried to come up with every excuse to talk about Janoris Jenkins uh, on this show, but um He's our third nominee for costume design. Yeah, and he's your guy. So that's totally, yeah. That's awesome. I didn't know about that. Um, and the last one, you've got a pair here, is Tavon Austin and Kenny Britt. Yeah, it's really, you know, I think it's really Tavon. Um, when his his West Virginia, former West Virginia teammate and sidekick, uh, Stedman Bailey, uh, was in, you know. In, that was scary. In, yeah. Last November was victim of a drive-by in uh down in South Florida, Florida I was in the intensive care after getting shot twice in the head. That's scary. crazy story. Uh, but he, uh, you know, he was uh, stayed on the mind of his teammates the rest of the year. Tavon and Kenny Britt both donned uh, number 12 jerseys in his honor. Um, and uh, Tavon actually inquired about wearing it for the rest of the season. So that's a, that's a heartwarming. Yeah. Um, that's a good honorable mention. Yeah. Just a, a good heartwarming story to try and put a smile on a situation that was very, very scary. Would you like to. Den- <laughs> My, <laughs> would you like would you like to announce our winner? Greatest show on grass costume design 2015 goes to Chris Long. Yeah. You know, we didn't even mention uh, when he dressed up with William Hayes. Oh, to, yeah. Like, uh, the homeless. It, the homeless uh, awareness mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. So. Uh, so they, he did it for fun and for a positive message. Yeah. As well. In March, uh, he, you know, dressed up, I guess, with a bunch of like secondhand clothes with his his buddy, William Hayes, who doesn't mm-hmm. believe dinosaurs exist. But mermaids do. But mermaids do. Uh, what is that? What do you mean? He believes in mermaids? Oh, yeah. Like he's got a. a uh, what are those things called? Oh, like a GoFundMe? Oh. Yeah, like they have a series. If you look at uh, Chris Long's Instagram page, they have like a, he has a hashtag Save the Mermaids. A oh, series. Chris of, Long does. I'm talking. Or no, oh, well, William, William Hayes. Wow. Yeah, because Hayes doesn't have his own account. So he posts everything. Oh, okay. He filters it through Chris and oh, his followers. Amazing. So he's got a hashtag Save the Mermaids thing. But yeah, he doesn't believe in dinosaurs, but mermaids out there. Yeah, some pretty, it's a pretty cool video about this. Um, neither of the guys were recognized, which you know, might say something about their costume design, but it also might say something about St. Louis fans, <laughs> but uh, not to bust on St. Don't not to yeah. kick a dog when he's down. But yeah. um, when uh, night fell, the two of them, you know, found warmth behind a, a, a fire in a barrel and were, were chased off and uh, ended up sleeping in an empty box truck uh, for the night. But uh, the fact is 
when it comes to creative uses of costuming, Chris Long, uh, we'll miss you, but, um, we look forward to you and your porn mustache <laughs> joining some other team. <laughs> Absolutely. Our next award goes for best actor. Um, and once again, we have four nominees who will go through right now. Who's our, who do you have as our first nominee? Uh, as the first nominee, I have Aaron Donald. Yeah. Um, and this is a guy who two time pro bowl in a row, defensive rookie of the year, 2014. And, in that limited amount of time, he's already on pace to impress us just like J.J. Watt has. Yep. And to be in that same category and that same sentence already at this stage, this early stage of his career is pretty damn impressive. 11 sacks, 22 tackles for loss. Um, according to Pro Football Focus, uh, maxed out uh, the highest grade the site has ever given out with a 99.9. J.J. Watt was second. Um, he ended the season with 79 pressures, a batted pass, 51 stops. Um, it basically he's unstoppable. He's, he's, but he's, he could be the most disruptive force. force yeah, in definitely a worthy, uh, cat, a worthy nominee rather for, for best actor. Tavon Austin, uh, another nomination he, uh, for best actor, he set career highs in rushes and receptions. He had 1191 all purpose yards this year, including, including special teams scoring 10 touchdowns. Uh, he's the first player since Gail Sayers in 1965 with five receiving touchdowns, four rushing touch- touchdowns, and a return touchdown in the same season. He is our second nomination. Um, so we've got Aaron Donnell. Tavon Austin. Tavon Austin. Absolutely. And also Todd Gurley. Who Todd Gurley. You can't not mention him and the Rams right now. He's basically the forerunner of who the face of this franchise is going to be moving here in LA this next season. All eyes are on him at this point. So you have to mention him in this category for name and recognition alone. Offensive rookie of the year. He finished with 1106 rushing yards, joining Eric Dickerson and Jerome Bettis as the only Rams rushers to reach a thousand yards in their rookie season. He's also first among rookies in yards from scrimmage, second in touchdowns and first in a hundred yard gains, even though he only played 13. Uh, last year. So that's our third nomination, uh, Todd Gurley. Our, our fourth is Tremaine Johnson, uh, another uh, potential free agent. Had a big year, seven interceptions to go along with 58 tackles, and that was also in 14 games. Uh, I, you know, most notable game had to be against the Lions when he went toe to toe with Calvin Johnson. Yes. Um, holding Johnson only to one catch. Um, and uh, that Very, one yeah. catch came in the fourth quarter. It was giant. I, I, I feel like he, done it, he almost is like sending Calvin Johnson into retirement. I feel like. Um, so those are our four nominees for best actor uh, 2015. Uh, uh, so shall we announce our yeah, winner? You want to, yes. You want to announce it? Sure. Our winner is Aaron Donald. Uh, Donald, uh, can now accept his award. Uh, no, he was the, he, like <laughs> he I couldn't said, be with us right now. You know, if you just want to get a sense, watch one game to get a sense of uh, he, the Ravens game week 10, he went up against Marshall Yanda, who's frequently considered one of the best guards, if not the best guard in the NFL. And he basically, every, he just, uh, treated him like a rag doll, um, dominated him. 
made his presence felt yeah. every time he goes on that field and hasn't had a lot of, uh, or correct me if I'm wrong, or like injury issues. His body seems to be just intact. You know what I mean? He hasn't had anything serious and lingering that, you know, would make him think that, or would make us think that this is something that, you know, is a flash in the pan that can't be consistent. He's played all 16 games for two seasons in a row. And he's a little, he's, you know, he's, and he's a little guy. I mean, maybe that, that, that might help. I mean, he's short and compact. He only runs mm-hmm. around six one two ninety. Um, you know, we're not going to be the first, we're probably the millionth to, to mention the name Warren Sapp in the same sentence mm-hmm. as Aaron Donald. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, uh, another versatile guy yeah. didn't get injured a whole lot. Um, Donald, uh, really anchored a defensive line much of the year. Um, mm-hmm. no Robert Quinn, Chris Long really tailing off in, in his, um, in his production. Right. So Aaron Donald wins our, uh, yeah. best actor award. It'd be easy though, I think to do like a one A and one B like with Todd Gurley, yes, yes. you know, like we it's should mention, so this was a close race. This extremely. wasn't, this wasn't like the Chris Long runaway best <laughs> yeah, costume. Like, oh yeah. Well, this, this is, was a close race. Yeah. And like one A and one B. I mean, cause how can you not mention Todd Gurley and as who this following scene is going to be on their shoulders. Yep. He breathed, he really breathed life into a moribund franchise, mm-hmm. giving us a sense of hope. As yeah. The fans from really St. Louis mm-hmm. to Los Angeles. He's the focal point. His position is probably high profile, yeah, much more high profile. So maybe that's why if there was a offensive best actor defense, then I don't know. Look, you know, when we're giving out awards, they're going to, there's going to be controversy. Yeah. People there's are probably, always, when, when the press hears about this, it's I'm not sure an Oscars that, yeah. or honor, uh, uh, award season, unless there's some controversy. Yep. So. Oscars. So Rams. <laughs> um, so finally our, our Razzie award for Blech. the worst Ram of 2015. Blech. We have four nominations here. Um, our first is uh, the much maligned. Uh, That's a good word. Second overall pick in the 2014 draft, Greg Robinson, who plays left tackle, which is, to be fair, one of the toughest assignments in the NFL, protecting the quarterback's blind side. Mm-hmm. Um, but this guy is nowhere near being up to the task. He is burned repeatedly by speed rushers. He's easy to confuse. He, he finished near the league lead in penalties. Um, he la- He allowed a few less sacks this year than last year. Um, and he did play every snap, but he was also responsible for a league high 19 quarterback hits. Uh, that is our first nomination, Greg Robinson. Our, our second nomination is Nick, Nick Foles. Nick Foles. Yes. Yeah. And, um, this was one that stuck out for me because, you know, this is a quarterback driven league. And even if you don't have a superstar quarterback that can win you a game, you at least want one that won't lose it for you. Right. And he put the Rams in a position where they were losing games because of him. Yep. Um, the defense was keeping them in games, but when it got to the when the offensive side of the ball, he wasn't really productive at all. In 11 games that he played, he completed for, uh, 56.4% uh, of his passes, 10 interceptions, um, and a 69 passer rating, which was absolutely dead last, last in the league. league. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know... I- a bummer because yeah. you know, he was an acquisition from he was traded but for Bradford. Mm-hmm. Sure, the Rams got a, a second round pick along with that, but um, Rams fans were really excited about that Foles would return to you know 
the form he had for for the Eagles a few years back. Right. We thought that was going to cross over a little bit, but big drop in production. Yep. Our uh, our third nominee for uh, the Rams Razzie uh, Award of 2015 is Brian Quick, uh, the first pick of the second round in the 2012 draft ahead of Alshon Jeffries, who Rams fans are are uh, dreaming about acquiring this offseason. Uh, Quick was compared to Terrell Owens, and it and it actually turned out to be a good comparison because Quick is pretty much as productive as a 42-year-old retired player. Uh, it was uh, a strange season for Brian Quick. Um, he was uh, supposedly healthy to begin the year, but he didn't play until October. And then after that, he only caught 10 of the 32 passes thrown his way. Um, so he, Brian Quick, is our third nominee. Yeah, and he's one of those people, I think, that when you're mentioned next to someone like Terrell Owens, you <laughs> know, like, hey, you have the potential of being this. It's like you're, the expectation far exceeds talent sometimes. Yeah. And unfortunately, that was that was his case. And our last nominee for the Razzie Award is Jared Cook. Yep. Not a horrible player, just... I think, I mean, a inconsistent player and certainly an overpaid player. He was uh, earned $8.3 million. Uh, well, he counted $8.3 million against the salary cap in 2015, which was the fourth highest among tight ends in the league. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pro Football Focus ranks him 55th among tight ends. Uh, his 39 receptions and 481 receiving yards were his fewest since 2010, and he had no touchdowns. And he's a terrible blocker, and he drops the ball all the time. Uh, so without further ado, we should, I know we have a lot of, uh, this is a fierce competition, this final category. Unfortunately. Our Razzie Award for the Worst Ram of 2015 goes to... Greg... Robinson. Greg Robinson. Yes. Uh, Greg Robinson. Uh, we, we listed all of his, um, we listed all the details the of his, in, in issues of his bad year. Um, he should, uh, in this year of the Oscars, I think he should take some um, respite, uh, take some umbrage in the fact that uh, Sylvester Stallone, who's <laughs> Uh, the Razzie's all-time worst actor uh, is, in fact, nominated for an Oscar uh, this year. So uh, uh, maybe no, he'll have a turnaround too. Maybe he'll turn it around. We but, hope so because it is still he's young in the tooth still when it comes to this. So there's we're really preying on that light uh, at the end of the tunnel, and this actually panning out. And this was just you know uh, a bad year, bad season. Where? But maybe the new the new city uh, will help. Yep. Some some smog. From from L.A., a little beach life. Hopefully that'll, you know, rejuvenate him a little bit and be like, you know what? This is there's a lot of hype going on right here. So I think this move is going to help and hopefully he can hit restart. We are not giving up on Greg Robinson. No. That was Janelle Monet with Faster off her 2010 album, The Arch Android. We play it to introduce our next guest, who during his playing days was the fastest man in the NFL, a winner of the gold medal in the 4x100 meters relay in the 1984 Summer Olympics. He would play with the Rams from 1984 to 1989. 
1985, he returned three kickoffs for touchdowns and was named to the Pro Bowl as a special teams player. Thank you for joining us, Ron Brown. Hey, Josh. What's up, buddy? So you you grew up in Inglewood, is that right? Yeah, I'm from Inglewood. Uh-huh. So between like the stadium coming to Inglewood and 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 the Rams playing in the Coliseum for the next three years, where you won your gold medal, you have uh, you have connections to both uh, to both stadium spaces. <laughs> yeah, you know, I never looked at it like that, though. But yeah, you're right. You're probably the only person like uh, with such uh, clear cut <laughs> connections to both spaces. Yeah, that's interesting that you put that together like that. What um what do you think the the stadium will mean to Inglewood? I mean, you grew up there. You have you have ties there. Um, you know, the stadium is actually incredible, man. I think it's going to mean a lot to Inglewood, and it's not just the stadium; it's the surrounding that's going to be there. You know, it's going to be you know a whole little city within a city. I know you're doing a lot of work in in business development and branding, and you have a lot of charitable causes. Is this something that you think is going to have to be on uh, the Rams' mind going forward um, and really pressing that to embrace the new fans and the millennials that are here that are now going to have an option of going to a Rams game on Sunday? You know, I I think so. I think that's part of it, though. But the great thing about the Ram organization and Stan Kroenke being the leader of this thing is He's he's that kind of a guy anyway. He's that kind of an owner anyway. So he's gonna he's gonna embrace the community. He's gonna embrace the nonprofits. He's gonna em- embrace those kind of situations with the local schools. Uh, we have a little pop Warner team right now called the Crenshaw. They were the Crenshaw Colts. We changed our names to the Crenshaw Rams, and we'll be mm-hmm. doing little speed camps and football camps down there too. And and then on the concussion side of stuff, you know, everybody talks about you know playing this game with and getting concussions, but. You know, we're putting some clinics together, doing some research with USC and UCLA Medical and talking about solutions. And uh, we have a program called Veterans Helping Veterans, NFL Veterans Helping Military Veterans. And uh, we'll be building a clinic there and we'll be having military veterans coming to our clinic so we can help serve them better. That's fantastic. I just wanted to ask you about um, being the NFL's fastest man. Um, You made a a habit of winning that contest during, during your career. How many yards was it the 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 fastest man contest? We ran sixty meters. Sixty meters. Okay. Yeah, it was a sixty meter run. Yeah, it was, a, it was a fun race though. We had some great competition out there. We had a good time running though. It was, it was a great event. We we would like to see something like that come back. Actually, we've been talking about putting something together. And remember the wide world of sports back in the day. Remember that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, the agony yeah, of like, like defeat. Whatever happened, yeah. Yeah, the, 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 you know what I mean? The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. That's pretty good. So you're you, not you let me know how old you are. You remember? You know, but, um, <laughs> I am. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I actually was, no, li- was listening to a podcast yesterday. A, a guy on our network, Gilbert Gottfried, has a podcast. I was listening. Do you remember the Battle of the Network Stars? Yeah. That, absolutely. That is old. Absolutely. I was so into yeah, that. Yeah. So we're going to try to bring some creative stuff like that back. You know, we want to have some things like that bring that back though. Those are fun. Those are fun days. What was your best 40 time? Uh, four twelve, four one two. Yeah. Whoa. That's flying. And you're five eleven, so six you, feet. Yeah. So you'd be the fastest man in the NFL right now. Yeah. <laughs> you still are. Wow. Yeah, well, you know, interesting enough with that piece too, though, it was, uh, the, with the Olympics, you know, possibly coming back to LA too, though, the last Olympics, the time that took third place, our our era in 1984, we would have took we would have took third place with our time in this past Olympics, 30 years plus later. And of course, you ran with Carl Lewis in '84. Exactly. 
Yeah, it was a great anchor. But we had a great team, too, though. We had two world record holders. Calvin Smith was a world record holder, too, ran third leg. And then we had Sam Grady, who started it for us. Yeah, you were second. Yes. Crazy, crazy. And who, you know, you, you played, actually, you played receiver and cornerback. Um, you played corner, I guess, in at Arizona State? Yeah, I was a running back in high school, and then when I and then um, they moved me to defensive back when I went to college, and then when I was drafted, they moved me to receiver. So I didn't really play receiver, but maybe you know the last year in my college career, and then but when, but Al Davis, when I got the phone call to be drafted in '83, um, Al Davis, the Raiders had contacted me too at the same time, and they were going to bring me in as a defensive back then. Yeah. I'm curious to know what you think about uh, trash talk in the league right now, because there's always a lot of wide receiver corner, uh, you know, especially like Josh Norman and uh, Odell this past season. Um, there seems to be a lot of uh, controversy, a little bit around trash talk, like how much of it is too much taken away from the game. Guys not being able to control their emotions in big moments that's going to affect the team in the long run. Maybe do you have a story of uh, some trash talking moments um, from when you were playing and maybe what some of your thoughts are about uh, how that plays out on the field today? Yeah, I think it's getting a little out of control, but it's getting a little out of control all the way around. This social media thing is really kind of creating a lot of havoc that shouldn't be there. You know, I mean, the kids' reach and, and even our, our young adults' reach is just way too far. You know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm seeing a lot of stuff because we have one of the largest gang intervention programs in L.A. too, though, and, and we're seeing a lot of things getting started and problems happening because of social media. A lot of threats, a lot of people carrying out threats because of what was said on social media, misinterpreting on social media. And these guys are having the same thing. They're posting and they're tweeting. Mm -hmm. They're saying how great they are and how sorry you are. And, you know what I mean? And then start talking about your family members and all kind of stuff. And then, you know, people just get real sensitive to that, you know? And, and then next thing you know, on the field, you know, you're getting penalties and getting fines and stuff that's unnecessary. That's not part of the game at all. You seem so like vested in conversations around growing up and uh, community communities and um, conflict resolution. You're a, you, you're actually a, a, also a substance abuse counselor. Is that correct? Yes. Uh -huh. We have a program called Teen Savers uh, and we do that though, you know, because you know, a lot of the things that are going on right now in our high schools and the, the dropout rate still increased and stuff is some of these drug choices these kids are making right now. Um, it's really kind of sad, too. And a lot of stuff is, you know, like this, I mean, this marijuana thing being legalized and, you know, we're trying to educate the kids on that whole little platform. Like, look, if it's not going to better you, then why do it? Um, and then the, that whole thing with the DUI situation that comes along with it, mm -hmm. wanting kids to understand that driving in this, in this country is a, a license in this country is a privilege. Any license, driver's license, construction license, um, any license is a privilege in this country. And then you jeopardize that when you make these kind of choices. And we try to help kids to, you know, look towards the future, you know, protect the old man, look towards the future when you, when you, when you um, make these choices though, because, you know, one bad choice can destroy that. It can destroy your dreams. I mean, we're watching these kids, you know, getting ready to get drafted, and they decide that they that marijuana is more important, and you put, you're going to sacrifice millions of dollars in your dreams before a joint. I mean, you know, come on, you know. So you know, just what's important to you, you know. So we try to 
to deal with kids like that. And then there's some mental issues with these kids too, though. You know, everybody got all these alphabets that they're throwing in front of your name, ADP, elemental P, you know, all these kids. And then they end up getting on drugs with that, you know, and it's just, it just becomes a domino effect with these kids. And the suicide rate is off the chart. So one of your comrades in arms growing up was Byron Scott, correct? That's that's true. Byron's a great friend of mine, man. We grew up together. We used to play basketball in my backyard and his backyard and, you know what I mean, and chase the dream. And we also ended up at Arizona State together. To a certain extent, you know, I mean, he's got a similar challenge that Jeff Fisher has, a very young team, a very huge spotlight, and a team that hasn't performed too well in recent years. What do you think... Um, what do you think Jeff Fisher can take from Byron Scott's experience? Uh, you know, two different sports, though, but like you're right, it's kind of like the same kind of parallel situation. The the, the cool thing about um, the Fisher, though, Fisher has a great owner that's backing him, though. So Stan will pay for, for players to come and help feel that. And Fisher is a great coach. He actually goes back with the Rams back when I was playing. DB. And he was our defensive coach back then. Yeah. So, you know, Fisher's had some great success as coaching, you know, that, you know, hats off to, you know, coach, uh, um, all, all the coaches kind of came up under Ernie. So, you know, Ernie kind of, they kind of all kind of, I've seen a little bit of their style with Ernie who was at the Chargers, And then he came with us with the Rams who ended up at the Cowboys. Sam Peasy you're talking about. Uh, Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, Ernie was a great, fantastic coach. He was a student. He, he And he always used to tell me to be a student of the game. And I never understood that till after I stopped playing what he meant by that, to be a student of the game. And, uh, and he taught those coaches too. North Turner came up under Ernie also. Sure. My last question, when you, when you just, I couldn't help but wondering you're in those backyard one-on-one basketball games with Byron Scott, how many points did you get off him? Uh, not very many, man, by the <laughs> even back then. But, you know, we didn't call fouls back then, though. So we played a little basketball, a little football. We blended. Nice. Nice. Well, that, <laughs> yeah, on, at, the, and at the same time. That was community leader, life coach, philanthropist, and former NFL fastest man, Ron Brown. It's time now for our final segment, which we call Film Study. When we dissect an episode or scene from a film or TV show that prominently features, you guessed it, Los Angeles Rams. Thankfully, there are thousands to choose from, many of which we're chronicling on our greatest show on grass, Tumblr. Since it's Oscar season, we thought we'd give a Lifetime Achievement Award to one of Los Angeles Rams' biggest stars, Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch. During his playing career for the Rams, which began in 1949, Hirsch's star shined as much off the field as on it. Football, for so long up to that point, had seemed brutal and philistine. But when Hirsch started playing, it started to seem sexy and, well, fun. Hirsch, in the words of columnist Bob Oates, made the long pass the greatest entertainment feature in football. Off the field, the Rams were already glamorous. Halfback Glenn Davis, who starred in 1947's The Spirit of West Point, dated Elizabeth Taylor. Halfback Tom Harmon was briefly married to B-movie fixture Elise Knox, probably most famous for being kidnapped by Lon Chaney in The Mummy's Tomb. 
fullback Gerald Cowig was married to Jean Willis, who was best known for playing hard-boiled, painted ladies, and tough-as-nails saloon girls. And there was, of course, quarterback Bob Waterfield, married to Hollywood starlet Jane Russell. Waterfield and Russell were the Brady and Giselle of the time, and Waterfield even seemed at one point to have big-screen aspirations, co-starring in the 1951 Johnny Weissmuller vehicle, Jungle Manhunt. There were others on the team who seemed to have big-screen aspirations, too. Kenny Washington mostly had small parts, but by 1949, he had already appeared in eight different films, and his pal Woody Strode, who along with Washington broke the NFL's color barrier, would soon follow suit. Wide receiver John Zilly had a bit part in the 1949 Gregory Peck film, 12 O'Clock High, and the 1949 Victor Mature vehicle, Easy Living, which later this season we'll talk about at length, cast the entire team as the fictional New York Chiefs. Hirsch's play seemed to capture the feeling that already defined the team off the field. He was a unique player. Hirsch had the ability to beat a defensive back, the height to win jump balls, and the uncanny ability to run full speed without breaking stride while making a catch. He helped establish the term the bomb and made it a permanent part of football vernacular. And with his blonde hair, square chin, and chiseled all-American features, Crazy Legs came to signify an exciting style of play that felt it was made for Hollywood. The origins of his famed nickname are traced to an interaction with a reporter Here's Hirsch telling the story to Barry Teicher. Uh, and let's get this on the record. Um, how did you get the name Crazy Legs? My left, foot, my left foot points out farther than my right when I run. And when I take that step, uh, the toe points out. And when, it comes, when the foot comes back behind my body and when running, it goes behind my body and I have to swing it way out and around to get it in front of me again. It's a natural movement to me. I just, people just notice it. And I wobble when I run. A sports writer uh, in, in Chicago, Chicago Daily News, uh, I got off a run of 40 or 50 yards against Great Lakes that year in 42. And uh, he saw the wobbling of the legs, and he said, the guy's got crazy legs, and that's what stuck. Anything's better than Elroy. <laughs> <laughs> the 1953 film Crazy Legs may not be a classic of cinema, but it did break even at the box office. Critics generally praised the performance of its hero, and it even got nominated for an Oscar for Best Editing. Perhaps more importantly from this podcast's perspective, it boasts an RQ that's off the charts. That's Ram quotient. There's breathtaking footage of Hirsch on the field, not to mention of teammates Waterfield, Tank Younger, and Deacon Dan Towler. The film seamlessly integrates archival game footage with live-action dramatic sequences. It even asks us to notice its editing techniques in the text at the beginning of the film. Quote, all football sequences are taken from games in which he, Hirsch, played. You are about to enter a world, the film suggests, in which reality and myth are interchangeable. Crazy Legs is plagued by the cliche-ridden love story crowbarred into its center. Joan Voss, a former Radio City Rockette, who was typecast as the dumb blonde throughout her acting career, plays Ruth Stommer, the Midwestern debutante and high school sweetheart who Hirsch neglects in his single-minded quest for gridiron stardom. Here's a scene in which Hirsch shares his fears with his roommate that his sweetheart may be slipping away. How long since you heard from her, Crazy Legs? Over a month. 
I guess you're too busy with that social life in Wisconsin. Last time I wrote her, I made a couple of cracks about her going out with other guys, and I guess she didn't like it. Well, you're not engaged, are you? No, I'm in no position to ask her. Well, how can you expect her not to go out or anything? Despite the shiny allure of the Madison, Wisconsin nightlife, Hirsch manages to win Ruthie back, proposing to her on his old high school football field. Everything is finally going Hirsch's way until he gets clocked. 63 years before Will Smith's Dr. Bennett Omalu, Hirsch depicts the serious head injury that he suffered as a member of the All-America Football Conference's Chicago Rockets in 1948. It's third and three for the Rockets and the Browns 45. Crazy Legs Hirsch at tailback. There's the snap. Crazy Legs takes the ball, drives off tackle, picks up two yards, maybe three. Wait a minute. I believe Crazy Legs is hurt. The Rockets are all standing around him. Here come the trainers and the coach. Crazy Legs is not moving at all, ladies and gentlemen. He's unconscious. It looks like he might be seriously injured. Yes, lack of consciousness is a sure sign of serious injury, and one that forces Hirsch to sit out the rest of the season. And though, quote-unquote, brain specialists okay his comeback attempt to the Rams in 1949, Ruthie objects and goes so far as to threaten to leave her husband. Now for a historical interlude. When Hirsch joined the Rams, they were coached by Clark Shaughnessy, widely considered one of pro football's most innovative offensive minds. Shaughnessy regularly used spread formations with ground-pounding running backs as flankers who would sneak out of the backfield to catch passes. With Tom Fears and Bobby Shaw split out wide, and Hirsch, a running back at the time, going out for passes, the Rams went 8-2-2 in 1949, Hirsch's first season with the team, losing the NFL title game 14 to nothing in an uncharacteristically muddy game at a rain-soaked coliseum. Head coach Shaughnessy didn't get along with the mercurial Rams owner, Dan Reeves, and was fired and replaced by Joe Steidehar, but the team seemed to pick up where it left off the next year. In preseason of 1950, Hirsch was moved from running back to right end, where he would tally 42 catches for 687 yards and seven touchdowns. The Rams returned to the championship, this time losing 30-28 to to the Cleveland Browns on a last-second field goal. Hirsch had a breakout season in 1951 with 66 catches, 1,495 yards, and 17 touchdowns. Projected over 16 games, Hirsch's 1951 might have been the single greatest receiving season in NFL history. For the third year in a row, and the third of Hirsch's tenure with the Rams, the team made it back to the league's championship game once again against the Cleveland Browns. In the first NFL championship game to be televised coast-to-coast, the Rams would defeat the Cleveland Browns 24-17. Here's voice of the Rams Bob Kelly reenacting the last play of the game, a play in which Hirsch was in to help out in the secondary. Only seconds to play, and the Rams are still out in front 24-17. The Browns have the ball on their own 40, fourth down, and Graham is trying desperately for a long pass to tie the score. Graham is going back to pass. No, he laterals to Kenny Carpenter. And he gets away a long, long pass. Crazy Legs is back coming to the receiver. They both jump. And Crazy Legs knocks it down. Oh, good. They'll run out the time on one play. Only five seconds left. Four, three, two, one. There's the gun. The Rams have finally beaten the Cleveland Browns. And they're the new football champions of the world. 
The film ends with Hirsch exiting the Memorial Coliseum. Ruthie looks on as Crazy Legs is mobbed by a bunch of autograph-seeking kids. She always knew how important football was to her husband, but now she knows how important he is to football. would go on to do other films with Crazy Legs producer Hall Bartlett. In 1955, Bartlett would direct him in Unchained, the story of a young inmate struggling with whether to finish his prison sentence or attempt an escape. Again, a love story was at the center of the film. This time, Hirsch's love interest was pinup girl Barbara Hale. But by not playing an all-American gridiron hero, Hirsch was able to explore a part of himself that wasn't defined by football. The film is ultimately about love and longing and what you'll risk to be truly happy. It's probably most notable for its theme song, Unchained Melody, performed by co-star Todd Duncan with such stirring and soulful conviction that it steals the show. The song, which was the number one R&B hit of 1955, would be famously re-recorded by the Righteous Brothers 10 years later. And 25 years after that was the backdrop to the most erotic scene involving pottery in cinema history. I'm, of course, talking about the Patrick Swayze Demi Moore vehicle ghost. The Atlantic called Unchained Melody one of history's great love songs, even though history would largely forget its origins. Elroy Hirsch's Steve Dabbitt, wondering whether his girl will stay true to him while he's in the can. 1951 to 1955 would be the peak of Hirsch's celebrity. During those years, he was a bona fide star. The upscale swimwear company Catalina, with the slogan, Styled for the Stars of Hollywood, which featured starlets including Betty Davis, Joan Blondell, and Olivia de Havilland in their ads, sought out Hirsch for a 1954 campaign. But Hirsch's A-list status was short-lived. When he retired after the 1957 season, he moved into supporting style acting roles and cameos, often embarrassing ones. Paul Bartlett would cast him as Captain Bill Wilson in the 1957 airborne adventure Zero Hour. Ring a bell? Here's a scene from the film that may sound a wee bit familiar. I'll check with this tourist and see if they let us up there. Hello. Hi. This is Captain Wilson and our first officer, Mr. Stewart, and this is Mr. Stryker and his son, Joey. Joey, here's something we give our special visitors. Would you like to have it? Thank you. Thanks a lot. You ever been in the cockpit before? No, sir. I've never been up in a plane before. Still doesn't ring a bell? How about I play you a clip from a film that would make fun of Zero Hour? Have you ever seen a grown man naked? We'd better get back now, Joey. No, Joey can stay here for a while if you'd like. That was Peter Graves as Captain Over in 1980's Airplane, ostensibly playing Hirsch's role. As the years went on and times changed, 
The once uber-cool Hirsch started to seem a little too straight-laced and square-jawed for his own good. Hirsch's final acting gig was in 1965 on the hit television sitcom The Munsters. At the time, Hirsch was in the midst of his stint as general manager of the Rams. The scene starts with Herman and son Eddie Munster playing football in the park. Eddie snaps the ball to his father, and Herman, with his Frankenstein-like powers, punts it as far as the eye can see. Cut to Hirsch and a reporter exiting a cafe. That wacky sound effect is the ball hitting Hirsch in the head. Thanks very much for Very enjoyable, Charlie. Elroy, as general manager of the Rams, I suppose you look forward to a real top season. Yes, uh, I think we're strong in every department, but I'm just a little worried about our punting. Is there a football field around here? No. The closest one is eight blocks away. Eight blocks? You know, I think I might have the answer to our kicking problem. Mr. Hirsch, take my advice. Forget it. If you don't want to wind up going out of your skull. The meaning of crazy legs had now come full circle. The same man who during the 1950s, thanks to Hollywood, was perhaps the hottest athlete on the planet, now, thanks to Hollywood, was the butt of the joke. The roar of the crowd replaced by a cheesy laugh track. Enamored with the crazy leg of Herman Munster and obliquely making light of his own head injury history, it was as if Hirsch's icon had sputtered out of control, like Frankenstein's monster. Dirty Dancing Patrick Swayze was now Roadhouse Patrick Swayze. During the crazy legs years, the Los Angeles Rams might have been the greatest offensive machine the NFL ever saw. Long before the 1999 to 2001 St. Louis Rams were the greatest show on turf, the 1949 to 55 Rams were the greatest show on grass, averaging what remains in an NFL record 38.8 points per game. Elroy Hirsch established the template for the future Hollywood sports icon that you could hear faint traces of some three decades later when Irvin Johnson arrived in Los Angeles. Like Hirsch, Johnson also had good looks, a great smile, and a pre-existing moniker, which would become equally synonymous with a style of play. Crazy Legs and Magic weren't just catchy nicknames. They both pointed to athletic exploits that defied explanation, and that were as entertaining as they were impressive. When Elroy Hirsch passed away in 2004, then-NFL Commissioner Paul Tagliabue stated, Elroy Hirsch was a big star in a town of stars. He was an electrifying player who brought a lot of glamour to the NFL. I think he's sort of right. You see, the Rams were already glamorous off the field before Elroy Hirsch arrived. He made them glamorous on it. And 1953's Crazy Legs, integrating on-field reality with off-field drama is an uneven yet ultimately fascinating record of such. Thank you for listening to The Greatest Show on Grass podcast, part of the Sideshow Network. You can follow us on Twitter at LA Rams Podcast or email us at greatestshowongrass at gmail.com. Lonely Time can do so much 